Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Unraveled Podcast, and I'm Crystal. I've been struggling over the last year, and I wanted to kind of share that with everybody. Um, A different kind of struggle than I typically go through. But this struggle comes from um, my sense of unraveling and trying to be the best version of myself that I can be. Um, So I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and I'm going to tell you kind of where I've headed from there. So I do a type of therapy um, as one of my jobs, as many of you know by now. And, you know, it's hard doing that because you know what's the right thing to do. And when I say the right thing to do, I mean, you know, there is no right or wrong kind of situation. I get that. But I know um, that there are healthy behaviors and unhealthy behaviors and, and other behaviors that kind of lead in one direction or the other or lean in one direction or the other. And I really wanted to improve a, uh, several aspects of my life, um, including parenting. Um, I am the mother of three children um, and a doggy, so that's four children. And, um, you know, I, I find that I, I struggle with that. I'm not a natural parent for those who are shocked to hear that. <laughs> I know it's, um, I don't think anyone's shocked, um, but I'm not necessarily, I wasn't a natural parent. Um, I really had to learn a lot kind of on the go. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really been able to kind of work past my natural knee-jerk reactions and, and try to improve um, based off of the fundamentals that I know cognitively and I know scientifically and I know therapeutically and incorporate them into my practice as a parent. Um, But I hit a wall like most people do. And it's not just the parenting aspect. It was all aspects, right? There's relationship aspects. There's kind of understanding who I am aspects. So there were several parts of my life that I felt I was, I had hit a wall. I knew where I wanted to go, but I couldn't quite get there. Um, and, and, and why I couldn't get there was I, I, I hit these emotional and, and kind of an intellectual blocks. Um, an emotional block, for instance, would be I know um, that raising uh, and screaming at a child is not, an, you know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't lead to the behavior change that you're looking for, right? That's not me making that up. That's, you know, that's how parenting works. Um, and we all resort to it. It's not, uh, not with not all of us, but, you know, it's easy to resort to it. And I'm not vilifying those people that do. But for me, um, specifically with one of my children, um, I found that, uh, you know, when I would raise my voice, her, she would basically, her brain would kind of fritz out. It would just kind of go in the blinker. And I could not, I couldn't figure out how, um, how to, how to not do that. Because what happens when her brain goes on the blinker is she's not, at this point, she's basically, you know, not dead in the water, but she's dead in the water, right? Her brain's not functioning, processing. She kind of sits there with this blank stare. We end up in a, in kind of an impasse and there's no, there's no moving forward and, and there's nothing learned from it. And so we continually go into the cycle. We got into the cycle pretty badly for a while. Um, so that's one example. And so what would happen though, is I knew that being angry wasn't helping it. I knew it wasn't. And yet I would become so consumed with my irritation and anger and frustration at the moment that I would let it completely overtake me. And it really, I really struggled with that. Um, because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get myself to the point where I was keeping the anger at bay. Um, and when I say that, I mean, like, it's not like I was like raging in my house, but I would lose my temper um, scream and then just become so irritated and it would take like a good half an hour to come down from this and during that half an hour she's basically a zombie robot 
um, not reacting or not processing. And then we go through this over and over and again, like, you know, every week. And I, and I knew that there had to be a better way because obviously, you know, the d definition of insanity, doing the same thing, you know, this over and over again, expecting a different result. I knew it was different, but I couldn't because I, I would get so trapped in this emotion. That was one example for those people who aren't parents. Another one is relationships. Let me tell you about that one. So I would, I have, a, I have abandonment issues. Just we'll throw it out there on the table. I do. I have, I have severe abandonment issues. Um, I don't know if they're severe anymore, but they're pretty, they're pretty big. Um, and that clouds my ability sometimes to act rationally, or I don't know if acting rationally is, is appropriate. It's not necessarily true to think rationally in situations where I am, um, I feel, uh, you know, that kind of legacy emotion of being abandoned kind of rears its head and I'm stuck not being able to be the best version of myself as a partner because I'm feeling abandoned. And let's not just say it's partnership, it's also in friendships. Um, I have a really bad habit of um, feeling, you know, left out or feeling um, like I'm not good enough for my friends. And this is a very, this this can really get me into a kind of a, a sad spiral of, of thought that isn't healthy um, and it's not productive and it doesn't make me feel good about anything. So, you know, I, I got, I, I know technically and, and therapeutically what I should do. And when I say should, I mean for my brain and for the way that I handle things and for the person that I am, how I need to make it, you know, where I need to set my sights. And I still couldn't do it because the emotions and the thoughts were so strong and I couldn't, it, it was like, it was as if they were in the past. And I, and I really kind of, I started to go, you know, deep into the self-study here. And I read a lot of books and I listened to a lot of things and I took a lot of time in self-reflection and I came up with something that works for me. And when I say works, it means it set me on the right path and it's really allowed me to um, do what I think is necessary in getting through to this next phase of, of my development or my unraveling, so to speak, right? Taking out all of the I hate the word because it's just so overused these days, but taking out all the triggers or at least being able to handle all of that so that I can be the best parent, partner, friend, mother, sister, um, daughter, uh, person, uh, therapy type person, uh, just human being in the whole world. So here's how I kind of distilled it down. Now, let me just preface this with saying none of these are new ideas. Um, I basically took a lot of what I read and learned and reflected upon um, and distilled it down into a, a way that I could make sense of it. Um, so the ideas aren't technically um, profound, um, but it's, I, I, I say that to say that I, you know, I'm not trying to lay claim to what are basically core tenets of, you know, true meditative thought, but I just, I wanted to put that out there. Why? Because I'm self-deprecating and why wouldn't I do that? And I don't even know if anyone's listening. So here we go. So imagine yourself sitting behind a, a panel of, you know, all these, like, like the Starship Enterprise, right? You're sitting at the helm, right? And outside of the ship are somebody in front of you, someone to the left and someone to the right. I'm going to go with the person to the left or the creature to the left is the, your physical piece. And the person in front of you is, or the creature in front of you is your intellectual piece. 
and the creature to the right of you is your emotional piece. So where we get kind of hung up is when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves as all of those people are in the ship with us and we are all steering the, sh in, steering the ownership or enterprise together. But that's flawed because our cells don't respond if we tell them to not age, right? We walk without thinking of walking, right? It happens at some level that we're not even aware of. Our thoughts are there without us thinking to have the thought, right? We, we, we have thoughts and then we recognize that we have the thoughts. Even now while I'm speaking, I have an intention, but it's all kind of spilling out in some format that I don't even understand. And oftentimes when we're sitting there quiet or whenever we're just around, the thoughts show up. We don't really control them. They're kind of there. They, they, they come and go as they please, as do emotions. And this is a tough one because when I was growing up in the psychology field, um, you know, there was a lot of things about being able to turn off your emotions or handle your emotions or some situation of that nature, right? And there was this implied narrative that your emotions are something that you can choose. And I don't think that that's, after all these years, I don't necessarily think that that's true. Your emotions show up whether or not you want them to or not. I don't want to be angry, but I'm angry. I don't want to be jealous, but I'm jealous. Um, you know, they, they say you can focus on certain emotions and try to, you know, bring those out and see different things, but that's a different thing all entirely. That's entirely something altogether. That's still having the emotion that you want or that you don't want necessarily, and then and then trying to refocus or reframe that to have the emotion that you want. But all and for all intent and purpose, emotions you don't choose, you have them, and then you try to cognitively deal with them later. And so when we really think about it, the only person you really control or the only you that exists is the little, and, and you could, you know, you, we could really go deep, deep down and say that there is no you, and I understand that we're not having that conversation. We're just having the, how do you, you know, we're having an, a tool to help unravel conversation. Um, I, I get that there could be no you at all. But for, for today's conversation, let's just assume that the only you that exists is the captain in the chair. And all of those three things, the physical, the intellectual, and the emotional, are all outside of the ship. And what happens is um, we can turn our attention to any of those things and choose whether or not we want to pay attention to them. But we don't think that we can because when we have an emotion or if we have a thought or oftentimes when we have a pain or some physical sensation, we feel like it is all encompassing. They're in our ship. It's where we have to go. We, are, we become victims to these three things. And what I've been working on over the past two years, and I think pretty successfully actually, was recognizing that those things are outside of the ship. They happen regardless of whether or not I want them to happen in most, in, in many cases. Um, and so what I really need to learn how to do is control the guy in the, you know, or the gal in the, or the thing that's steering the ship and where I put my attention. So let me give you an example. If you, fa have you ever, anybody out there ever fasted? There's a good way of thinking about this. When you fast, if you've ever done it the first time you've ever done it, or for me, around the 23, 22 hour mark, the hunger became so just crazy off the charts and I just could not focus. All I could think of, all I could think of, it was like it hijacked my brain. All I could think of was eating. Now what's crazy about that is cognitively, right? I'm a smart person. I know that I'm not in the desert and food is readily available and I am just choosing 
not to not to eat. I'm just fasting for the sake of fasting, for the sake of, you know, cellular regrowth or whatever benefits come from fasting. And yet my body doesn't obviously link up with the cognitive part of me that's decided to fast. My body decides, hey, dude, I'm taking over you, your brain, everything. And I'm going to tell you that you're hungry and I'm going to make every motivation that you have be about getting food. And if you read the people that have fasted, um, which I did because I was trying to figure out whether or not this, my reaction was normal, um, a lot of people go through this. And, and what it is, is it becomes a mind over matter. Well, again, this is the, the physical part of your body that you could just turn your attention away, right? The mind over matter and getting through fasting is just turning away from the hunger and knowing that you're fine, that you're safe, that you that this is a, cho- a chosen path and you're not going to die. You know that you're not going to die. And you know that the reactions from your body are manageable. And frankly, you don't want to deal with them at the moment. So we can do that then. Why can't we do it with the intellectual guy and the emotional guy? They're no different, right? If I'm having an emotion that I don't want, why don't I just turn my attention to either the intellectual guy or the physical guy. I can certainly do that. But for some reason, it feels so out of our realm. And I think it's because we consistently thought that the emotional guy and the intellectual guy and even the hunger or the physical guy were in the same ship. But they're not. They're outside of the ship. So what I've been learning how to do is to kind of, you know, mute that guy. It's kind of like, you know, we have a puppy. And she's 14 weeks old and she's fabulous. But she has a tendency to nip at your heels and pull on the, the bottoms of your pant leg when she wants your attention, especially when she wants to go outside, which is actually a really good thing. But um, for the rest of the times, it get can get very irritating um, because, of course, she wants to play or she wants something. And so, you know, you may not be in the we may not be in the situation right then to play with her. And so it's but it, she wants our attention. That's all those things are. The anger and the intellect and the physical pieces, all of that little puppy, you know, nipping at your heels and tugging on your pant legs to get your attention. And if we can manage that, it is the same thing that we can manage in our own selves. It just is a matter of choice. And it's a practice, right? It certainly is a practice, but it's still a doable thing. So let me let me tell you how this kind of created... Um, a situation for me or not a situation but kind of where it led to for me so I had been practicing this this kind of um, you know the kids yelling in the background um, and I'm just trying to drive situation and when I say the kid I'm talking about the emotion the emotion and the intellect are the two that are, are are the screaming kid or the the tugging puppy for me and um, you know I <laughs> Those the, it's not like turning your attention doesn't turn them off. They're still there. They're still tugging, but you're just choosing to change your attention. So I had been practicing this for a while where I was when I found that the physical was the easiest way to turn it. So, for instance, if my brain or, or if my intellect or my emotion was taking over, what I could do was turn my attention to the physical. I could turn my little ship and focus over here on the left hand side and Mr. Physical was over there or Mrs. Physical, whatever, it. And I would say, okay, let, let me, right now, let me feel my feet in my shoes. Let me feel the back of my legs on the chair. Let me really just turn all of my attention to the physical sensations that I have. Because I think that that's, you know, I want to turn my attention there. 
And what it allowed me to do is after a, a while of trying that aspect, I think the physical aspect is easier for me anyway, because again, the intellectual and the emotional, um, those two are like, you know, cousins and brothers or something and sisters, and they are always kind of, you know, <clears throat> if one of them's there, the other one's there. But the physical guy kind of sits over here on his own. And so I would find that if I could turn my attention there, you know, it served, and I want to say it's a distraction, but it, what it did was it allowed, you know, there's only so much capacity in your brain to focus on anything. And so if I could, if I could really force myself to focus over here to the left, then the, the other two, they were still screaming or they were still doing their, you know, tugging at the, at the, at the feet, but it wasn't as loud. It was kind of a muted situation. And it was a pretty impressive thing after a while. And so uh, one day, let me tell you where this even went further. So one day uh, we had, I like to garden. It makes me happy um, because you get to see the fruits of your labor, clean socks, because when you clean, it's just dirty again in two minutes. But gardening, you actually get stuff and it's, you can eat the stuff or you can give away the stuff. And it's just a happy lovely thing um, and all the colors are just so pretty gardening's wonderful so anyway we decided to grow some jalapeno plants and did not um, correctly understand how many jalapenos could come up on a jalapeno plant and so we had like a bajillion and uh, that's an accurate number of you know of jalapenos so I was like well, what the crap are we gonna do with all of this let's make jalapeno jam and candy jalapenos and dried jalapenos and crushed jalapenos for all of our family for Christmas. And so I spent a day cutting up this bajillion of jalapenos. And I wore gloves like you're supposed to. But apparently, note to self, that after, I don't know, about like a million, the gloves kind of either become oversaturated or maybe you cut a hole in them or something happens. And anyway, it's very likely you're going to get jalapenos all over your hands. Well, that happened to me. And I finish my work and I wash my hands and slowly the heat starts to build on my hand. And it was just the left hand where I was holding the jalapenos. The right hand, thankfully, had the knife and so it did not receive such a lashing. Well, that pain became, you know, like the flames of the volcano. It's like Dante's Peak on my hand. It was the most, it was pretty flippin' painful. And what's worse was the jalapeno juice, I suspect, had gotten kind of, it because I had, it's like, I'm talking hours of cutting this flipping things. It had kind of seeped underneath my fingernails. So it was like, I, I can't even describe the, the amount of pain. It was as if something was burning underneath my fingernails. And so I tried everything. I, I Googled everything in the whole world. I put oil. I put, I, I was holding my hands in milk. I was washing. I was doing everything that you could possibly think of. And the pain would just not subside. Well, it just so happened that it was also evening time. And I had to get up in the morning to go to work. And it was going to be a very busy day. And I already have had issues in the past with insomnia. So, of course, oh, and by the way, let me stop you here and say that one of my not so great traits is that I tend to catastrophize. That kind of goes along with the abandonment thing. So, of course, I'm not sleeping and I'm thinking to myself, this is it, right? Like somehow this is gonna, I'm gonna have this pain for the rest of my life. Again, catastrophizer. And you know, I the intellect is just taken over. I'm gonna somehow because of this hot hand and me not being able to sleep, I'm gonna fail at work and I'm gonna have this pain forever. 
and I've permanently damaged my fingernails and um, I'm going to end up jobless and homeless and you know the wonderful things that happen for those of us who catastrophize out there I feel ya I understand so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to sleep and I can't because the pain is just so immense and then it dawns on me hey you've been doing this whole turn your attention to the physical guy forever but you've never tried to do the other way around and so I said okay let me try how am I going to do this well, first, I'm going to isolate and figure out where the pain is. Well, is the pain in my fingertips? Yes. And I know this sounds silly, but just stay with me. So I'm like, is the pain in my fingertips? Yes. Is the pain in my knuckles? Yes. Is the pain in the palm of my hand? Oh, my God, it's just yes. Is the pain in my wrist? Kind of. Is the pain in my elbow? No. Is the pain in my shoulder? No. So I do this all the way through my whole body. And for all intent and purpose, it was like 95% of my body was not, you know, inflaming pain. And so what I did was I said, brain. I, or little commander, please don't focus on that physical sensation. Focus on the physical sensations coming from the rest of the body. Focus on the breath. Focus on how your legs feel. Your legs have no pain whatsoever. There's no pain down there. Focus there. And I was able to fall asleep with a flaming jalapeno hand. And it was impressive. I was very proud of myself. I had my, like, Buddhist back, you know, like... I've hit a Zen point. Like it was a really, really remarkable time for me because I was able to take what was basically seething, writhing pain and, and an inability to sleep because of that pain and close the door on that little screaming voice and focus somewhere else. And I, I, I think it's a remarkable thing. And for me, it's totally work to think of the little commander, but I'm, you know, this is again, you know, these are the tenets of, you know, their, you know, the concept of self. These are the tenets of um, met, uh, mindfulness. These are all the tenets of, of other practices kind of boiled down into the soup that is Crystal Lee's to tell you how I've kind of thought about it and how I've managed through it. And so I say that if I can do that in a span of a year, then you guys certainly can do it too. And I'm sure many of you have probably already on this journey and or have passed this journey. And again, if you have, if you're on to the next phase of your unraveling, I would love to hear from you. For me, this is where I'm at and I'm working through this. Now, my next step, um, for those who are interested or in the same kind of realm or have mastered this part of it, where my next step is trying to understand how I can um, turn towards those emotions when I choose to. Um, I, I have, a, I am a very passionate person and I think I'm a kind of engaging person, believe it or not. I know it may not sound like that, but I, I think I am. Um, and in order to do that though, you know, I ha I, there is a piece of that emotion that I still want, even if it's for all intent and purpose, it can, it can kind of betray me. And other times it's still a part of who I am and it's a part of who I think makes me, me. And so what I'm, what I'm trying not to do is, you know, they say one of the things about grief is, you can't cut off, you know, an emotion you don't like and expect to keep the rest of them. You have to keep all, you know, it's, it's kind of an emotions are an all or nothing thing. If you deafen yourself to any emotion at all, then you are forcing yourself to deafen yourself to all of them because it's not, it's not a pick and choose kind of, uh, of, of, of thing. Emotions are emotions. And so if you're cold, you're cold. Um, and if you're warm, it's just a matter of managing them. If it's, if it's, if you have any emotions, you have to figure out how to manage them. Um, so it's the same concept, right? I've been, I've getting better at muting the emotions. And when I say muting them, I'm not deafening them. They're still there, 
but kind of trying to, to, to move my attention away from them in order to not let them consume me, right? The dog that's in my, in my heels is now not, you know, eating my face off and, and having lunch by me or of me. Um, so I'm, I'm now practicing how to turn my attention to the nipping dog and embrace the, the emotion, the unwanted emotion in a way that allows me to still, um, I don't know, to, to be able to do the dance better, right? So I think like for me, it had to be phase one was learning how to move my attention away so that, so that the dog didn't eat my face off. And now phase two will be how do I turn towards the dog and still not let it eat my face off, but be able to embrace it for, you know, for what it is um, and, and live in that moment and say, oh, look, look, there's a dog that wants to eat my face off. That's really interesting. Like, let me figure out how I can learn from it so that I can tap into those, you know, to those emotions and those intellectual thoughts to still allow me to be who I am. I, I don't want to deafen them. I don't want to cut them off entirely. I don't want to put them in a soundproof room, right? When I say close the door, you know, I can still hear them on the other side. They're just turned down. Um, I just want to be able to uh, keep them at full volume, so to speak, and still be able to um, and still be able to function in a way that is is healthy and, and it has a desired outcome. Um, but I'm still working on that, right? Right now, it's just the matter of turning. But I, I think why this has been helpful for me, and I, I actually, believe it or not, uh, give this um, metaphor or whatever it is to some of my clients because what I think it does is it allows us to remember that we have control over those three aspects of our life. And when I say control, I don't mean you get to choose what thoughts you have or emotions that you have or even, you know, some of the, some of the sensations that you have from the physical body. When I say control, I mean you don't have to put your mind there, right? There, There's a whole – This is again, this is not new. There are um, whole genres of people out there that believe that you can, for instance, give birth to a child without any pain medicine, um, and those people do the same thing. They're just turning their attention to a different place. There are uh, – you know, I, I've, I've read – and seen Buddhists sit, that will sit out in the cold and in, in like snowy the Himalayan mountains and they're emanating heat, right? Same concept. And I mean that they're not, they're, when I say emanating heat, they're focusing somewhere else so that their body doesn't produce, it's a, that's actually, that's a whole nother level because what they're doing is they're putting their attention to something else to actually produce a desired outcome with their body. But either way, they're sitting out there in the flipping Himalayas in like a robe and they're not freezing their butts off because they're able to focus somewhere else. Um, so this is not new. It's just, it, I had to create this metaphor or this little commandeer starship enterprise example in my head so that I could accurately depict what I knew to be true, which is those three things are outside inputs. And when I say outside, just because they're happening in our heads and our bodies doesn't mean that they're who we are. They're still to me. Ex, they could be seen as external inputs because we have no control over them. What we do have control over is where we turn our attention and what we focus on and how we choose to process that stimuli that's coming in, right? Again, it's phase two, looking at that anger emotion or looking at that jealous emotion and, and turning towards it as opposed to trying to, you know, turn down the volume, um, but it, that's a processing thing and I'll get there and, and maybe some of you guys are there and you have some tips that you can give me. But I kind of wanted to share that and, and you know, uh, hopefully this doesn't fall on completely deaf ears. Um, I thought it was helpful 
there's a thousand different ways to probably shake this up and make this, um, you know, that some of you out there are doing this, you know, with your own metaphors and your own ways. And I would love to hear what those are. Um, but I hope that in the end of the day, the, the goal is if you can get to the point where those things, you can control your attention of those things, then you really can start to become the best version of yourself because you are no longer controlled by an external thing. You're, you're being controlled by where you want to put things and where you want to move your life. And that is the process of unraveling, right? Unraveling oftentimes doesn't just happen. It happens by a choice. It happens by a step that you take consistently over and over and over again to improve yourself or to be a better version of yourself. And, you know, what more could anybody ever ask for but, you know, to continue this journey. So that's me. And now I'm going to turn back to my coffee um, and enjoy the rest of my morning. Um, but I hope you have enjoyed this. And I look forward to talking to you all a bit later. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening.